0: Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this minister, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today.
1: So today we're just going to talk a little bit about what it means to to be young and old in the kingdom. And uh, I, I know a scripture passage verse that I wanted to read was, um, I once was young, David talks about it in scripture. He says, I once was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Have you ever read that verse? Um, he said, when I was young, I saw things. When I was old, I saw things. But there, are, there's one thing that I've never seen is the righteous begging bread. Which means possibly that he said it because he's seen the other side of it, where unrighteousness has destroyed lives, but he's seen the righteous prevail and the righteous live on. So we want to talk a little bit about that today in the sense of being young and old. So we have taken two different positions. He's taken the young and I've taken the old. So I'm going to be holding my back the rest of the service. And uh, I'm not really that old. We were kind of joking about that a little bit. They're like, you know, you really can't take the old unless you're truly gray all the way through. And I was like, well, I could dye my hair. It's close to, (laughs) but then it's close to Halloween. So that would be a problem. So, Um, but he's going to take the younger and we're just going to talk a little bit about what it means to be in the church at th- those different age groups and we're going to talk about a mantle that God's been placing on our lives and hearts and uh, just try to communicate a little bit from that the concept of making of a mantle because um, mantles don't happen by accident hello somebody amen they have to be made mantles have to be made and uh, they're conscientious works they're deci- the discipleship of a life and, and the the conscientious efforts to build something means that you have to push other things out in order to embrace a Holy Ghost mantle. Hello, somebody. So we want to talk about that a little bit. So everybody, welcome Reese. Give him some love as he talks a little bit from his perspective.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> when uh, pastor kind of approached me about doing this, um, I got really excited because I see a lot of value in... Um, getting into doctrine and really, uh, talking about what it means to be apostolic, what it means, um, you know, when we're talking about this mantle and this anointing, um, from our families and from our extended church families, I got really excited because, um, I just want to share with you a little bit about, um, my background. Uh, I was raised in church. I, my, on my mom's side, um, and don't take this wrong way, I'm just giving an illustration. On my mom's side, I would be considered uh, what we call like a third generation um, apostolic. So my grandparents on my mom's side got in church and raised my mom in church, and then I was raised in church. On my dad's side, I would be considered sixth generation um, apostolic. So I've had, uh, you know, when I say that, I, I don't, I don't take that lightly. I don't just say that to say it. And, you know, everybody just gets excited. Woo, look at, look at you. You know, that's not my point. My point is, is um, that a mantle like pastor was saying has to be created and it run, it, it doesn't exclusively run in your family. It doesn't exclusively run in your genes. Okay. Because I know there are a lot of, uh, a lot of my friends, their parents did not uh, attend a church. Their par- They grew up, or they didn't grow up in church. You know, they they were brought to church by their friends, um, and and the church family became their family and that church. What's so amazing about a mantle of God and an anointing is that it does not run in your genes necessarily, but it can also come from a man or woman of God, a saint of God in the church that takes you under their wing and mentors you and, and trains you and teaches you. So that's what's so amazing because me, I'm the first preacher in my family. I, I I didn't my I didn't come from a family of preachers, right? I I didn't come from uh, you know an, an illustrious background of just you know people going to the mission field and seeing thousands receive the Holy Ghost. I didn't come from that. But what's so amazing is that the mantle that you can receive that you receive can come from your family and can come from your church family. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for the leaders and the mentors that I've had in my life. Um, I I, I do have these, I don't want to take up too much of time, um, because both of us are going to try and present something. I did bring these Bibles because they mean something incredibly great to me. This is my grandmother's Bible. This is my dad's mom. Um, I've used this before, and I've preached out of it, um, and what is so amazing to me is that she's a woman that I can look to and know without a shadow of a doubt that she has lived the best she could, that she has read this word through numerous times, and that she has done uh, the very best that she could in raising her kids and and me as her grandson in the truth. So this means a great deal to me. This, this Bible is my Uncle Keith's Bible, this is the one, I know Pastor had mentioned it, um, my uncle that passed away just a few weeks ago, this is his Bible. I, I was, it was given to me by my aunt, um, it's got his name on it, he was a Bible study fiend, I'm telling you, every time I went to his house, he was in his study, reading he was in his study like just studying the word and he I went over there um, when I found out that he passed away Tasha and I pretty much just picked up and left we packed up and, and headed down to Mississippi. I went into his um, his study room in his house and I saw I'm, I'm serious here I saw six stacks of Bibles this high wow. just and they were they weren't just like you know the Bibles uh, they were like the Complete analytical study Bibles. They were, you know, they were like the Thompson Chain, like the Thompson Chain reference Bible. They were crazy. And this other Bible I have with me, I wanted to bring this, because um, this one holds a very special place in Tasha and, and, and our and my house. Um, this is Tasha's mom's Bible. This is Cindy's Bible. I wanted to bring this also to just illustrate that a mantle is prepared over years and years of time, right? So I know just my family and and Cindy and Sam just doing the best they can teaching out of this Bible, doing the best they can training up um, children out of the word of God. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way it should go and it will not depart from it. So um, it's just so important. These mean so much to me. So I just brought those to illustrate um, th- th- this this idea that truth passes from generation to generation. I want to read a scripture. Um, it's Psalm sixty-one verses three through five. I know Nate. I'm sorry I didn't get you my my uh, my scriptures, So I'm gonna I'm just gonna read it. Um, it says, "For Thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in Thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of Thy wings." Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. You see, Psalms, what I really want to bring out of this, Psalms says that God gave us the heritage of those that fear the Lord. It doesn't just say that you have to come from a family of ministers it doesn't say that you have to come from some special bloodline some special lineage what it says is god gives you the heritage of those that fear his name the church mentors in the church pillars in the church saints of god young people that's why it is so important to have mentors and saints in the church as well as your parents that you can go to and they can give you godly instruction because those are the people that are preparing a mantle for your ministry. Those are the people that, that they're building and they're praying and they're studying and, and they're doing the best they can to uh, instruct us as young people in the way that we should go so that we will not depart from it and so that we can accomplish the work and the will of God. I want to also um, just read another verse really quick before I get into the second part of what I want to really talk about. Um, It's Isaiah 38 and 19. Isaiah 38 and 19 says, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. It is our responsibility as saints of God, as parents, um, to pass along this truth that we have. We cannot allow, uh, you know, the truth of God will always find a way to get to the next generation. God will always raise up somebody to preach and to teach the next generation But we have to be ready and be willing to allow God to use us to train and to teach and to mentor people. I find myself, you know, as a young person, um, I wasn't in youth that long ago, right? Like I'm 22, I was in youth six years ago. Um, and, and now I see myself on the other side of that in the more mentor, the more teacher stage of my life. Um, even though I'm really, really young and I have a lot to learn, I still keep mentors in my life and accountability partners and people that I know will, uh, feed into my life and, and will bring truth to me. My parents, my grandparents, um and not just my family, but the church family as well, uh, I have to be careful to make sure that I stay under that mantle as well. Because I, I, I know that I'm not there. We're never there, right? We never get there to the point where we're just uh, at the pinnacle of everything that we can get to. We never get to that point. So, uh, but I see myself um, in, in this stage of my life as a, uh, as a youth leader, and I want you to know that I do not take that lightly. I don't take that. That's not just a responsibility that's, you know, whatever. I'll just show up on a Friday night and deliver a nice Bible study. That's not the way that I approach it. And I just want you to know that. Um, but I, I see myself as now a mentor, and now it's my responsibility to pass the truth. It's, it's my responsibility as a young man to everybody that I come in contact with at my workplace to pass the truth. Uh, and, and pass it from generation to generation. I know when when Tasha and I start having kids, that's a responsibility of a parent is to train up a child and pass that truth that we've received. And and I'm I'm so excited for for um what God is still going to do in our lives. I'm so excited for what he's already done, but I'm really looking forward to what he's going to do. And now I just want to share with you the truth that I have received. I want to share with you uh, just doctrine, if I could, um, because like I said earlier, it is so important that we understand who we are as apostolics, and we understand what we stand for, what sets us apart, what is different about us. Not so that we can run around and, and, and throw it in everybody's face, but just so that we can understand and have a better knowledge of the God that we serve. The doctrinal truth that I have received is Deuteronomy six and four. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. That is something that it, it, it's funny. I, when I was praying about this, uh, I could remember my mom. That was actually a scripture that she would write down and you know that, that was so fundamental for her um, because it was so fundamental for her parents. Her parents w- were not uh, d- raised in, a, in an apostolic home. They came to the truth. My grandparents, they were raised in another denomination and, and this scripture was a complete paradigm shift for them. So it has uh, carried through to to me, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I was talking to Pastor before this. I, I'm not going to get off on a tangent. I promise. I have notes that I'm going to stick to. But I was talking to Pastor before this, and we were just talking about when I when I was praying. One of the dangers of of ministering is that when you study the Word, you get there are so many connections that just come to you while you're talking. The Bible says rightly divide the word of truth, but sometimes you just You make these connections and and you just start rambling. But I I, want to say this. um, You know, what is so amazing about the oneness of God, that's why in the Bible you see so many references that God makes to one. You see so many references to unity, to oneness, one body, the church is one body and God is the head. That's why unity is so important in the Bible is because God is one. If God was any more than one then unity does not have the same power and the same authority that it does when God talks about it, because he is one. Um, the belief in anything other than Jesus is God in flesh puts the New Testament and the Old Testament at odds, which, in effect, discounts the Bible. The the, the problem with, um, like mainstream denominations, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to get in a bash session because that's not what, that's not what being a Christian is about. I just want to explain this. The issue with other points of view other than one God is because of a fundamental misunderstanding of the Old Testament. You can't make an argument other than God is one from the Old Testament. So when you, when you hear other people's points of view, whatever it is, um, you know, because there are so many more than just Trinity. There's diatheism and all kinds of other crazy things. But but if, if ultimately, it discounts the Bible when you start talking about that. And I just want to give you a couple examples before I pass the mic, okay? I want to go to um, a really out-of-the-way verse. It's Zechariah 13 and 10. Um, and I, I am in uh, Purpose Institute. I'm, I've I'm going through a oneness of God class and this has just blown my mind, the things that I've learned. So I just want to share a couple things with you. Um, I'm sorry, it's Zechariah 12 and 10. That's my fault. Uh, I'm going to read it. It says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. The thing that stands out to me the most in that scripture is when God says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. How can God be pierced? God is a spirit. So this scripture, uh, God is talking to Zechariah and he's giving him a prophecy really of Jesus. Jesus. And he's saying, I'm going to come in the form of a man named Jesus, and when I'm crucified, they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. God is one. I want to go also to Judges 13, 17 through 18. This was a really interesting scripture to me. Um, This was something that, that that I heard Brother Brownie say. Um, who is the pastor of Rehoboth Church in, in Milwaukee. Um, this is a scripture that he brought to light. It was Judges 13, 17, and 18. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? So Manoah was asking God what his name was. That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do the honor. So Manoah had uh, really righteous intentions. He was saying, God, what is your name? So that when your prophecies come to pass, we know who to praise. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Manoah didn't get the answer. God answered a question with a question. And he said, Why are you asking about my name, seeing it's secret? What's really interesting about this scripture, and this, I'm, I'm going to get just a little bit deep, just like ankle deep, okay? So stay with me. The scripture, or, or the, the word secret, is the same Hebrew word. In Isaiah 9 and 6. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called wonderful. The word secret that God gave Manoah. He said seeing my name is secret. Means wonderful. It's the exact same Hebrew word used here. When it says his name shall be called wonderful. See God. Even though Manoah did not understand what God was saying, God was giving him a clue of who he was. He was saying, why ask about my name, seeing my name is wonderful. And then Isaiah prophesies about Jesus, which this scripture in and of itself is a oneness scripture because it goes on to say, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Jesus, he is the mighty God, he is the everlasting father and God was referencing this prophecy which he had not given yet to Manoah. So those are just a couple of the Old Testament examples that are more so, you know, when we think oneness of God, we think Deuteronomy 6 and 4 right off the top. You know, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But there are so many places in Old Testament scripture where God just gives little bits here and there. Just like that, you can easily read over that, that scripture in Zechariah 12 and 10 and not really catch what what God was really saying and and you can easily just read through judges 13 17 and 18 and just glaze over it and not really catch what God is saying but God continuously through the old testament is explaining I am Jesus I am going to come in flesh as Jesus and I'm going to make a way of salvation so Those are just a couple Old Testament scriptures. I just want to give you three references in the New Testament, and then I'm going to pass the mic, okay? So in the New Testament, I want to go to John 17 and 3. And it says, uh, this this is Jesus talking, and he says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So when you read this scripture, It's easy to see why people, uh, why it's easy to misunderstand what's really going on. It is. Because you have to understand the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. That's why the Old Testament is important, everybody, is because you have to know what's going on in the Old Testament to truly understand the promises and the things that happen in the New Testament. You have to. So in this scripture, it's easy to see how people can say, okay, God and Jesus are two different people. But again, I'm going to get ankle deep, all right? So it's important to study the word, right? It's, it's important not to just read, but study. So I looked up the original Greek for this scripture, because um, it was written in Greek. And the way it actually reads, I'm going to pick up where it says the only true God, okay? So the way it actually reads is, the only true God, comma, Jesus Christ. The word and is not in the original Greek, and there is a Greek word for and. It's chi but it's not there. So what happens is when, when, the, when the Bible was being translated, the English translators, you, you have to understand that there were already doctrines, there were already belief systems in place, there were already multiple different kinds of Christianity, and when this was being translated, whoever translated it way back when to English was trying to put the, uh, the best that they could translate it, but also make it readable And also, whatever denomination they were in, there's a tendency to make it sound one way or the other. That's why it's so important to understand how it's originally written, the the sentence structure, the context of the scripture, because it wasn't written in English. So we can't make assumptions on what the Bible says based on the English translation, because that's like us trying to tell a Greek how to say a Greek sentence when we don't speak Greek. So... This scripture, the way it really reads is, and this is the life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 and 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God. In my last reference, I want to clear something up um, if if I can. Hopefully I can make this as clear as mud. But Ephesians uh, one in verse 2, Paul pretty much introduces all of his letters the same way. Um, he says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He pretty much introduces everything in that manner. If you read all of the other epistles that he wrote, that's how he introduced them. So, again, what's really interesting in the original Greek, it leaves out the second from thee. So it says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, but the Greek leaves out and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not in the original one. In this scripture, it does have the word "kai," it does have the word "and." So what he's saying: and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is introducing all of his uh, all of his letters with the power and the authority that is in the understanding of God as one. He introduces everything, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. God is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Father. He is the one who created the universe and his name is Jesus. That name Jesus just means Jehovah become our salvation. So this, this is the doctrine, the truth that's been passed to me. From, from my family and from the, my church family, the reason, again, the reason why uh, people don't understand oneness is because of a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is never written in any plurality of God's. It's only written in singular, God is one. So you can't make a, an argument either way. And if you try to, you're essentially destroying the credibility of the Bible which we know the Bible is true. The the, the Bible is God-inspired. It is the written word of God. And we have to build this foundation. We have to build this mantle for the next generation based on the truths and the doctrines that we hold on to. And that's what it means to me, passing truth from one generation to another and being a mentor in the church.
1: Let's thank the Lord for that. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Um, I'd like to jump over real quick to Second uh, Kings 2, 1-4, and just share with you just a little bit about a mantle. Maybe you don't know what a mantle is. We have this mantle with us today, which is basically just the throw on my couch. <laughs> but what they would do is they would wear it, and oftentimes it was a skin of some kind, um, could be animal skin, could be deer skin, but usually it was a fine kind of skin, and they would actually wrap themselves in it and wear it somewhat like this, and then when it it had a watershed ability, it had kind of like a waterproofing, um, because it usually was some sort of a skin, so when, it, when they got in rain or something like that, they would use it as kind of like a hoodie, all the back row represent, <laughs> like they had their hoodie, so they wore their hoodie all the time, so... Uh, you, that's that's pretty cool. But they would wrap themselves in it. Sometimes they would attach it at the shoulders here on both sides, wear it kinda like a cape. Um, some different just depends on how they wore it. But that's what a mantle was. It was carried by the man of God on his body most of the time and he through it. And that minister often would um would affect what they thought would affect the clothing. Amen. So, the mantle idea of there being anointing in the material would pass through all the way into the New Testament when it talks about the woman with the issue of blood that we talked about last, last um, Sunday, where she thought she could touch the clothing. Um, they do believe that possibly she was trying to reach for the tallit or the tassels of his Jewish garment or his mantle that he touched, that that she touched his mantle, Jesus's mantle, his his Jewish garment, but the interesting thing about what goes on is in the in the passage of first kings two if you put that up there for me you see that they're walking and it came to pass when the lord would take up elijah everyone say elijah, elijah. everyone say elisha two names that are very close. The way you can know which one's the mentor and which one's the preceptor or the the younger to the older is Elijah, J comes first, Elisha comes after that. That's how you remember it. So J comes first in the alphabet, so that's Elijah, the man of fire who calls down fire from heaven, and then Elisha is the mentor or the protege of Elijah. Elisha was basically the servant of Elijah. He poured hands, he poured water on the hands of Elisha. Elijah so see I got to make sure I say it right Um, and so what basically Elisha did for Elijah was he kept the small things he took care of the little items he made sure that Elijah had everything that he needed so he could continue to be the prophet of God to the nation of Israel and to the kings and the interesting thing about the parallels between their two ministries is what Elijah did most often in the desert and in private Elisha was a much more public figure which is interesting because while Elijah's ministry was crowded with so much hostility and he was kind of an enemy to many of the kings in many of the situations he was at odds with them and he was fighting, Elisha actually had blessings of the kings and even set up and, uh, and recommended a king for, um, for his position. So the interesting thing about these two ministries is, number one, um, when you see Elijah training Elisha, he, he goes by him, and in the early part, when he's going to call Elisha, he goes by, and he just, he's, Elisha's plowing in a field. Now, Elisha, obviously, his father has money, he's well-to-do, he's pious, because it says that he wouldn't worship at the, at, the, at the places of Baal, that's what it says, so it was obvious that his father was a good man, his name was Shaphath, his first name was Shea, but he was fat, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's actually spelt that way too, like the t-shirt, fat. I'm always talking to the back row. But anyways, so what he says is, what he does is he walks by and Elisha is plowing. He's not even the first man on the plow. He's like 12 plows back. He's like the 12th man. So he's not really that important, okay? He's just plowing a field. And Eli- Elijah just throws his mantle on him. I think it just says he wipes, he he just runs it over top of him. But anyways, I'm for the sake of argument, I'm just going to throw the mantle at him. And... He throws the mantle on him and he keeps walking. And he's like, do you want what you're feeling? Do you want the ministry that goes with that mantle? Are you interested in, in what this is all about? And you know what Elisha, Elisha does? He gets up and he takes the mantle back to Elijah and he says, let me go tell my parents. You know, Let me go tell everybody and I'll, I'll go with you. And Elisha's like, no, that's okay. And he's like, well, hold on. Let me let me just. <laughs> Never mind. Forget that. I will go with you." And so he makes a decision that he's going to serve the man of God. And that when he's doing when when they're walking together, if you don't know um, the difference between Elijah and Elisha's life, you you have to understand that that the miracles that Elijah performed would eventually be uh, doubled in Elisha's ministry. Okay, and. What happens is Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's ministry. It happens in verse 9. Jump actually to verse 9. I would have him read that. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And some scholars, which I don't think they're very scholarly, personally, just my opinion, say that this is actually Elisha dealing with some insecurities because he was the twelfth man coming by. He was not. Like, he wasn't the firstborn of the family, and the firstborn son in their generation, in their historical fact facts in their life, the firstborn son got a double portion of the father's blessing. Okay. And so some scholars say, well, he was just asking for a double portion of, Elijah, of Elijah's ministry, his substance. And I don't believe that's correct at all because he doesn't say a double portion of your stuff. He says a double portion of your spirit because Elijah, Elisha was, I'm going to get it wrong probably all day. I apologize. I'm trying to get it right. Elisha was smart enough of a young man to know that if I have the substance, I can get the stuff. If you only have the stuff, you can lose it. But if you have the double portion of Elijah's spirit, you can get everything that he had, amen, from God. So what he's saying is, I I don't want what you have. I want double what you have. And I don't want just your stuff. I don't want just an inheritance. I want a spiritual inheritance. And that's what I'm asking some of you. Do you want a spiritual inheritance today? Do you want... Because there's mantles that have been dropped all around us from ministries and men and and women who have walked with God for so much. And I'm wondering if maybe there's mantles littering all over the ground and we have another generation coming along that needs to just pick up the mantle that's been dropped in front of them, that just needs to pick up what's been offered to them because it's obvious that whenever you get close to something powerful like a mantle of ministry or a mantle of anointing or a mantle of miracles, Miracles, where, where do you need a miracle in your life when you get close to it it's, it's obvious that, that there's indication that there's an opportunity for you to be diverted to take an off ramp and the reason why I say that is because if you go back a couple verses you'll see that three different times Elijah says Terry here three different times he talks to Elisha now Elisha has taking care of him Elijah's public ministry is about twelve years. Elisha has been with him for six, so Elisha has been with this man for almost half of his public ministry. And he says, "Terry, here, just wait here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Jericho. I'm going to go to Bethlehem, and every, or Bethel. And every time he tells him to wait here." Elisha said, uh, uh, no, that, that ain't happening. Forget that. I've been following you for six years. I've been taking care of your needs for six years. You're not going to get rid of me that easy. There's no way. That's what's cool about Elisha is he he knew what his purpose was. Amen? So, he continues to go after, and that's what we need most in the church is young men that know that no matter what God has me walking behind, he's got a ministry for me as soon as God moves and drops a mantle, amen? So you can spend half your ministry life behind another person, thinking that you're just ministering in their shadow, but actually God's preparing you for your own prophetic ministry through watching the man of God. And I believe Elisha's ministry was so public and so blessed and so favored, not because he did didn't just not because he knew how to do it but because he watched the Elijah of the desert and he wanted to be an Elisha of the people amen so he ended up having a ministry that was so much more public than Elijah Elijah's and the reason I believe that is also because he asked for a double portion he didn't just get a double portion of his spirit but he got a double portion of his favor I really feel like preaching, but I know you've been sitting for 30 minutes now, and I know this is good. But we have to also see that when Elijah asked Elijah, do you want to wait here? You have to know that oftentimes, right before you get to your miracle, oftentimes before you get to the most blessed and the most great, the greatest thing in your life, there will be opportunities for off-ramps. So when you feel the strongest urge to quit. That's when you're the closest to your miracle. That's when you're closest to your breakthrough. I'm telling you. When you feel like not getting out of bed in the morning and coming to the house of God, I guarantee you there's something that, wants, that God wants to have happen at the house of God to give you and if you stay in bed that day i promise you you'll miss it and possibly that would be the work of the enemy because i tell you this psalms 92 13-15 through 15, grab that for me nate i want to share some things with the next generation i'll be done okay i have about 12 things i just want to share with you they're just talking points and if you hear me i promise they will bless you but number one i want to tell you that there is a benefit to going to the house of god there are mantles being dropped at the house of god and if you, live, if you live your life long enough you'll look back and say, I was glad I was in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord. You will not regret over your life the times you spent sitting in a pew listening to the word of God go forward. You will not regret it. But you will regret all the days you wasted and the seasons that you lost given to sin. Amen? You will regret the things that you gave away to the world. If you do not know that, you, you need to know that. Look at Psalms 92, 13 and 15. This is the blessings of the Lord upon the house of God those that be planted in the house of the Lord I would say that's church Church. shall flourish in the courts of God next verse they shall sit they shall still bring forth fruit in old age he said when you're old you're going to bring forth fruit if you're planted in the house of the Lord and then they they shall be fat oh that's good (laughs) we don't want that we're going to pray and flourishing in other words it means that you're going to be blessed and your life will be flourishing in your old age. Go on to the next verse. This is what it means to have a blessing of being in the house to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. In other words, it's saying that the Lord is going to be my rock all of my days, and that being in the house of the Lord makes you a sturdy person. Amen. Makes you have a, a firm foundation. So, number one, I would recommend. I'm going to say that this is just a caveat. This is the beginning because I have another 1 through 12. But just, I want you to know that as as an older man, uh, speaking in this context that we're speaking about, I want to tell you that there's no greater blessing than living your life in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, amen, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would. It's a blessing to be here. And then number two... I want to say or the the things that I would advise you from an older an older generation would be number 1 endure sound doctrine. Learn how to learn how to process the word of God and learn how to endure sound doctrine because there's so many that don't know how to. Number 2 love the truth and live it. Don't just know it, you have to love it. That's what the scripture says. Number 3 the urge to, oh this is what, actually I already said the urge to quit is a sign that you're close that you're close to your breakthrough Four. so when it's a sacrifice this is real good to know because the economy of god is opposite our economy and when we only have two dollars if you sow something god will bless you back more than you could ever imagine and i have several examples of that but i don't have time for that so when it's a sacrifice number five don't forget what got you here don't forget what got you here now we're we're a young church we don't have a lot of things that, um, you know, we're not 20 years down the road where there's been, you know, grandmothers and grandfathers that have sowed into the church over the years and we have all this blessing, but we still have tons of blessing. Amen. Somebody helped pay for that keyboard with their offering. Somebody helped pay for those drums. Uh, that was me, but somebody, somebody helped pay for the lights. Somebody helped pay for the media system. Somebody helped pay for all the stuff that we get to just walk in here and enjoy. And so when you forget the generation that goes before you, I grew up in a church where there was grandmothers and grandfathers that are no longer in the church, but they had sewed into that church for years and years. And so their mantle was the blessing that I was benefiting from just by coming to church, just by being there and the opportunity. So remember what got you here. And then, of course, number six, put your passion on your purpose. I think I heard a preacher talking about that this week. Um, the, you know, I told I told our life group. I said um, the worst the worst information that I've heard, the worst advice that I've heard given to the next generation is follow your passion. Just follow your passion. Follow your passion. If you follow your passion, you can destroy your life. Say say I'm a good drug dealer because my whole family's a good drug dealer. I grew up in the hood. If I follow my passion, because I'm a good drug dealer, I'm going to go to jail. If I follow my passions towards certain other items, I will destroy my life. So the best advice you can give the next generation is follow your purpose. Because if you find your purpose and put your passion on your purpose, you will always have great things happen in your life. So Elisha found his purpose was in carrying that mantle. But what was interesting, at first, his calling was to wear it. But then, when Elisha was taking up, his calling became to work it. Amen? So he had first the opportunity to watch. Then he had to work in the position. So it was a completely different thing when you look at following somebody. You know, I've been in this position before. Um, I was a young preacher. And I thought, hey man, I I enjoy preaching. I love it. It's great. And then pastor would go away for a week and it was just me. And I was like, oh, that's not even close to what, (laughs) not even close to what I thought was going on here. I thought, you know, we were kind of side by side, neck and neck doing the work of the Lord. And then I realized when it was just me and the people of God and all the needs of the people, it was a totally different weight. In fact, it was almost unbearable. It was crushing to deal with people's hurts and pains and woes and struggles and go to the hospital and all of these different things. And I had to grow into that, obviously. So I want to tell you that you have to appreciate your pastor. Appreciate your pastors. Pray for your pastors. They need you to pray for them. And then I also want to show you that with Elijah and Elisha, his the day of his greatest pain was also the day of his greatest power. The day that he lost the most was the day that God gave him the most. And sometimes we lose things in life, and we have to deal with the pain of that. But on the other side of that, there's some beautiful things standing all around us. You might be standing at the casket of a loved one, but standing all around you are the children and the grandchildren that God's blessed you with. And while you stand there with loss, you stand there with some of the greatest blessings around you. You have to recognize that while you have pain in your life, you also have some of the greatest moments of power. Is that okay? Also, number nine, lose your comfort zone. Just lose it. 99% of America doesn't know how to lose their comfort zone. Just completely destroy your comfort zone. Don't even, don't even live there. Don't stay there. Don't make yourself at home there. Just get rid of it. This this work is a work of losing your comfort zone completely for me, obviously, and some of you too, I know, Nate as well. Be a creator, um, be a creator, not a consumer. Hello, somebody. Don't just sit on your phone till two, three in the morning just being a co- consumer. Don't just consume everything on Facebook. Don't just consume everything on Twitter. Be a creator. I mean, for for all intents and purposes you have to know that if god doesn't use you for anything he could use you to start a to to teach a bible study he could use you for something great if you just use your talents for what god wants to do in you i, I that may not fit too well for some of you but that's number 10 anyways number 11 you now um you're now as connected to what's next I'm telling I'm just kind of sharing from an old perspective to the to the younger. Your now is connected to what's next. In other words, whenever Elisha was walking with Elijah, his moment of caring for Elijah taught him how to be a prophet in his next generation in the next generation in the next level of his ministry. So what he saw and what he learned from one, he became even greater in that position when he grew up and became more of a um, of the lead man, actually. So in number 12, purpose has no parking spot. Work for your dreams. Purpose will walk right by you and toss a mantle on your shoulder and say, are you interested? I'm going to have Jesse's hair all messed up before I get done here. Purpose does not have a parking spot. It doesn't stop and say, are you interested, and give you a long time to think about it some of the greatest opportunities in your life we we can miss because they only they only brush by you and you have to be willing to wait and watch and keep your eyes open and so what happens is in in the in king first king second second kings two and one if you pull that back up is we see that elijah and elisha are walking together god's given elijah has given him all kinds, Elisha, all kinds of chances to, to stop off and not um, not be there. But, and it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven, the whirlwind, by a whirlwind, Elijah went with Elisha to, from Gilgal. Go on down to where, um, verse, verse 10. He says, if you see me when I'm taken up. Okay, the point is, if you're close, you, if you're committed enough to be close to me, you can have my mantle. That's a very key thing I would have to tell you. If you're not close enough to God, you'll miss mantles. That's important. And he said, if thou thou ask the hard thing, nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And so then it goes on to say that Elijah and Elisha were separated and the chariots of fire came down. And you guys know, and the song is playing, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 the chariots of fire. And then Elisha Elisha's standing there and they had crossed over. Is it the Jordan? They crossed over the Jordan. I read it earlier this morning, but I can't remember. But anyways, is it the Jordan River? Yeah, it is the Jordan. I forget names of rivers apparently. And so when they're crossing over, Elijah takes his mantle and he hits the Jordan River and he parts the waters. And so Elisha's partaking in a miracle that he did not cause. But when he gets back to the, to the Jordan after Elisha has the wa- or Elijah has smote the water previously, he comes back and he takes the mantle that's fallen out of heaven. He picks it up. Now his calling is real. And he knows he has the mantle of Elisha and he smites the water and he says, where is the God of Elisha or Elijah? And he says, where's the God of Elijah? And when he does that, the waters part. And so get this, this is the last thing I'll tell you. Elijah's last miracle was Elisha's first miracle. So you have to know that if you stay close to God, whatever mentors are in your life, you will begin where they end. In other words, you will stand on their shoulders. And if they spend a lifetime serving the Lord, you have the benefit of all the wisdom, all the revelation of their study of the word of God passed on to another generation. And you can spend your life standing on their shoulders and going higher. Amen? Is that all right? All right, let's stand. The last thing I want to tell you is this that he asked for a double portion with that mantle. And so he he finds out that life is a whole lot different parting waters from pouring water on the man's hands. He finds out that there's a lot of difference with that. And he finds out that there's 50 other prophets on the other side of the bank, sons of prophets. And, and while he's walking out his miracle, headed through Gilgal and other places where they're walking together these sons of the prophets they come to him and they say you know you know your mentor is going to be taken from you today you know that Elijah is going to be taken from you have you ever had someone tell you that something's going to be taken from you <laughs> and he's like i know i know <laughs> hold your peace he's like you don't have to tell me they tell him three different times people come to him and tell him you're going to lose this you're going to lose this you're going to lose this and in the middle of all these people telling him what he's going to lose he focused on what was left and that's the thing that I think we have to understand is in order for you to be doubly blessed you have to focus on what's left not what you lost some of you will lose relationships some of you will lose friends living for God the best that you can. Some of you will have moments of being alone, but remember, focus on what's left because there's always a mantle waiting and you will get double for your trouble. It might take you six years. We're coming into our sixth year of this church and the Lord, as I've been praying for the new year, told me that 2017 and 2018 are years of revival for this church. And he told me you spent six years and I'm gonna give you double for your trouble. Are you you willing to walk with God for six long years waiting for your promise, waiting for a mantle to fall? If you don't stay close, that mantle could fall and you'd miss it. What if Elisha was on the wrong side of the river? What if he wasn't close enough to the man of God to walk across when the waters parted? These young guys... That preach here all the time and I appreciate them so much. They're in ministry training and I tell you what, if they stay close, if they stay close, God's going to use them in ways that I couldn't even fathom. I believe God's going to do double with Reese's ministry than he could ever do with mine. I believe he's going to do double with Nate. I believe he could do double with this guy right here. Amen? I believe he could do double with any of you guys if you stay close to God. He could do double what you see. Not just buildings of... opportunities but I'm telling you people that need God the double portion of God's spirit could fall on you but you can't just let it fall and be too far away You've got to be close enough to pick it up. And I tell you right now that some of you may have a, a desire for God, but you have been thinking about it and maybe even you felt it on you. Maybe even felt anointing through the years and maybe even through the services that we have here, you felt this anointing come down and fall on you and you're like, that feels good. I think I can do it. But a calling is so different. There's so much hidden cost. But I promise you there's double in it. And today I just ask somebody, Mantles falling. Are you wanting it? Is there an interest? And if you're far away from where you feel like you need to be, I want to say all the Bibles in the world can't keep you close to God if you don't open them. All the opportunities in the world will not give you what you need from God if you don't take advantage of them. And so today I want to offer you double for your trouble all that you've been through this year. I look out here and I see faces and I almost cry because all you've been through, Betty, I mean, all that we've walked through together, all the troubles and the trials burying your mom, I mean, the things that we've gone through together. And God's dropping a mantle in this place today. Would you turn the lights down back there and would you just bow your heads with me because I really feel like what you're walking through right now is an opportunity there's a door open in this place for somebody to say Lord I know it's going to cost me I know that just as we've seen with Elijah and Elisha it cost him six years to get to the place where he was ready even maybe to receive a double portion but God I've been walking through some dry places and I've been walking through some places where I didn't think I had to go through and I didn't think I was going to see the things I saw and I even feel lost I feel a lot of loss I feel like I don't have that relationship in my life like it was and I don't have those things like I used to have but Lord if you just give me a double portion of your spirit the things that I lost if it's substance it will come back to me the things that I lost I will gain again and if there's an opportunity for there to be a man to fall on my life don't take your spirit from me Jesus let me feel you move let me feel you touch my life let me feel you take away any guilt and shame let me feel you take away anything that would try to be told to me like you're going to lose this you're going to lose that I quiet all the voices right now of those that are not close to you God I quiet all the voices in the name of Jesus that would say that there's not a double portion for the trouble that people have walked through in this congregation i come against it in the name of jesus and let the authority of god be upon this place that someone could pick up a mantle today someone can walk out of here with a double portion and they are forever changed they are forever changed and they're forever walking in you jesus right now in the name of jesus i pray it our lives have to mean something in jesus name Jesus name I want you to take this with you and I know that you're feeling God right now because I'm feeling God but it's not even as much as what God does for you as much as it is what God does through you and the reason you're coming here is not just for what you get but what you can take from here to give and so the change that needs to happen, even though it changed Elisha's life to pick up that mantle, it was a mantle to change others' lives. It was praying for a mother who lost her only child and, she, and that child got up. It was double what Elijah, Elisha did. Elijah did and Elisha took all of that double portion and he began to minister to somebody who didn't know God the way he knew God. And if there's a double portion in this place for your trouble, you have to realize it's not just for you. It's for others that don't even know you yet. It's for every relationship you're going to walk into. It's for every trial and struggle you've been through. Yes, but it's it's falling in this place. I opened this altar today and you can find a place to pray. Thank you, Reese, for talking to us so beautifully. I need a place to pray myself. If you need to go, I understand cuz we've been long today and I realized it was going to be long, but I just want you to know that there's double for all the trouble you've been through. You don't don't go through what you went through and not walk away with the mantle. Do not let your life be Those lives where you had just one thing after another, and it just seems like you can't get through. If you raised your hand and said 2016's been difficult, then you need a mantle on your life right now, in the name of Jesus. If you've walked through any struggle, trials, or difficulties, you know that you need something from God right now, that you need a blessing to fall on your life. You find a place and God will honor it. I believe there's mantles falling in this place, and as I'm done, I tell you today. That he will do double in your life for the losses. If you just focus on what's left. Because God only anoints what's left. He doesn't anoint what you lost. In Jesus' name.